So, Paul, having uh, spoken to us uh, about Abraham in regard to uh, circumcision and that uh, his uh, salvation came to him before he uh, performed the ritual of circumcision, now talks about Abraham in relation to the law, which is actually rather very similar because Paul is using the word circumcision here representing the whole law, even though that came later under Moses. But now he speaks of the law, and this is what he says in verse 13, uh, chapter 4, verse 13. For the promise that he would be heir of the world was not to Abraham or to his seed uh, uh, through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. Now, the first thing to notice about this is the word promise, for the promise that he would be heir of the world. See, God is making a promise to us. He's making a promise of his faithfulness and his grace and his mercy and his protection. The gospel is about God coming to us with goodness and love and kindness. Now, if you want to know the major difference between all religions and the Christian faith, it's this. Well, apart from the fact, well, how can we really be apart from the fact of Jesus Christ? But nevertheless, the major difference is that world religions are man's search upwards for God. The Christian faith is God's search for man downwards. Let me say that again. The world religions have man's search upward for God. The Christian faith has God's search downwards for man, and he, in his search, knows how to find him. So understand that if you sense you're in a congregation that is constantly stressing by innuendo, if not by direct uh, message, If you feel that you're in a congregation where the preacher is continually giving you a message of you stretching and straining upward to God and hardly ever giving you a message of God reaching down to you, then you are not hearing the gospel in your congregation. God so loved the world that he gave. It is all about God's initiative, God's promise to us. Not God's bargain, by the way, and that we'll come to in a minute in regard to the law. Some people think that if you keep the law, then you get saved, which is a sort of bargaining relationship. No, there is no bargaining here. So look, for the promise that he would be heir of the world. Now look at that. You see, God said to Abraham... In you, all families of the earth shall be blessed. And we tend to think of that in a minimalistic kind of way. Some of the people of the earth, families of the earth, will be blessed. Or some of the families of the earth will be blessed and not others. But Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit and knowing what God is talking about to Abraham, quotes God or quotes that promise not simply as, in you, Abraham, all families of the earth shall be blessed, but rather, you, Abraham, 
shall be heir of the world. You will inherit the world. That is the extensiveness of the promise to Abraham. That is why it's part of the gospel. It's part of God's grace. He starts preparing the world for the good news of Jesus Christ thousands of years before the the Savior comes to the world because he's preparing the hearts of the people by, well, by several means. I'll tell you uh, them in a a bit. But uh, let me simply say right now that God puts a hunger in the world for a solution to its devastating catastrophe. God puts a hunger in the world for salvation, for rescue. All this talk about global warming and all of this talk about man solving the global warming process or uh, condition is really all about God putting in human beings a hunger for a divine solution. Oh, yes, they don't think it's a divine solution at the moment. They think it's a human solution. But when they come to an end of themselves, then will be that hunger for God. The promise that he would be heir of the world then. That's the promise to Abraham. You see how extensive it is and how positive it is. We don't have to look at, will the world make it through? Well, God has already made the promise through Abraham. Now, granted, it will go through massive crises and a tribulation such as never was since the world began, but it will come through because God has made a promise, you see. Now then, it says, for the promise that he would come, uh, would become the heir of the world was not to Abraham or to his seed through the law. Do you understand that? That means God made the promise not based upon whether man would perform for him, perform obedience, be moral and righteous. Now, God calls us to a holy living, yes, but that is not upon what the promise is based upon. The promise is based upon God's love, God's mercy, God's grace. And I want you to see that the promise, therefore, is opposite from the law. The promise is opposite from the law. If God makes a promise, he does not present the law as a way to salvation. For the promise that he would be heir of the world was not to Abraham or to his seed through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. Now, when you think of the law, what do you think of? The Ten Commandments, yes, on tables of stone, given to Moses by God. And uh, you might say to yourself, well, if it wasn't through the law, why did God give the law in the first place then? Well, he certainly did not give the law to make humanity righteous. For Paul says in chapter 3, as we have pointed out, that by the knowledge of the law, by the law is the knowledge of sin. We become aware of sinfulness, of our brokenness by the law. The law was not meant to lead us to righteousness by the law. Well, what was it meant for then? Well, Paul says in chapter 7, by the law, 
Uh, well, verse uh, chapter 3 is, by the law is the knowledge of sin. But then in chapter 7, he says the sinful passions are aroused by the law. My goodness, then, what is God doing with the law? He is stimulating our, our awareness of sin or awakening our awareness of sin and actually stimulating sin in us so that you and I might rush to the Savior for mercy, for forgiveness, for righteousness that is accounted to us, for access to the Father, for peace. So you see, the law does not bring us to righteousness by the law. The law is meant to stimulate sin and to make us aware of sin so that we see the necessity of Christ the Saviour. Now get all this in your head and then we'll do some application of it, you see. It says then, For the promise that he would be heir of the world was not to Abraham or to his seed through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. Now I want you to notice the interesting phrase, the righteousness of faith. This is one further illustration or evidence that faith is not from man's will because there is no goodness in humanity there is none righteous no not one therefore the faith could not have come from man because Paul calls it the righteousness of faith but there is no righteousness in man to produce faith the righteousness of faith is a gift from God. It is as much a gift from God as is the Savior of the world. As God gives his Son, he also gives us the faith to trust in his Son that his Son is the sacrifice for the sin of the world and is the atonement for all our sins. All right, then. So that's covering a little bit of what this verse means, but what about the application of it? You see, you may be not be a legalist biblically or theologically, but you may almost certainly be a legalist psychologically. If you don't have the gospel clearly in your mind and understand what it means, then your mind will be groping after God by your own efforts, by your own means, by rituals, by obedience, by going to church often, by going to support groups, by reading your Bible as often as you can, by soaking yourself in everything religious, by in fact becoming a recluse and avoiding all sights and sounds of the world in order to become a holy and righteous person. Now, there aren't many people that do that these days. Uh, would to God that we at least searched after righteousness in the wrong way rather than not at all. But searching after righteousness by works of the law is a curse, and it will bring you stress and anxiety and worry. You will hear your mind saying, you're not good enough yet. What's wrong with you? Why can't you do anything right? You'll never amount to anything. And if you listen to those voices, 
you will really be listening to the condemnation of the law, and you will try more earnestly than ever to obey the law, and you will never have the peace of the gospel. One of the worst curses ever is to become a Christian without knowing what the gospel is, but just thinking that the gospel of being a Christian is a moral or ethical thing and uh, you live a moral life and you do good and nice things to your neighbor. But you will never be able to live a moral life or do good things to your neighbor if you do not first hear of the love and the mercy of God to you who says, I hear your woundedness, I hear your sin, but I do not condemn you, for I have given my Son as a sacrifice for your sin. Trust in him, repent of your unbelief, and believe in him. That's the gospel, you see. So look at this verse and say, wait a minute, am I relating to God by law or by a promise? Because the law and the promise are the complete opposite, and the promise um, and the law are complete opposites. For the promise is that we shall be, through Abraham, heirs of the world. We shall inherit the earth. We shall be heirs of the world because God loves us. God has predestined us for eternal life. And he wants us to have all the bounty that he has brought into this universe. Well, thank you for joining me today. Colin Cook here and How It Happens. Our funding is quite low at the moment, and I would appreciate it if you could help with a donation or two or monthly, but once is all right if that's all you can manage. And uh, uh, the program costs $39 per 15 minutes or $850 to $900 per month. That's about $200 for a month, a week's program. programs. If you would like to make a donation, send your donation to FaithQuest, P.O. Box 366, Littleton, Colorado, 80160, or make your donation online at faithquestradio.com. Thanks. See you next time. Cheerio and God bless.